0: This evening we're looking at Genesis chapter 37. The title of my sermon is Joseph Sold into Slavery. Joseph Sold into Slavery. Genesis chapter 37 marks the beginning of 12 chapters that give details of the life of Jacob's 11th son, Joseph. That's even more chapters than there are for Abraham. One might reasonably say that the last quarter of the book of Genesis is a biography of Joseph. What will will become clear tonight and in the remaining chapters of Genesis is that even though the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his humanity, was a descendant of Joseph's brother Judah... And not Joseph. And even though the Old Testament priests and high priests. Were descendants of Joseph's brother Levi. And not Joseph. Joseph can nevertheless be seen to be a type of Jesus. More than any of his brothers. If you want to learn something about the Lord Jesus Christ. You do well to look at the life of Joseph. Not that he was... Uh, sinless or anything like that but uh, even so he was he, he is very much a type of the lord jesus christ what will also become clear as we look at joseph's life is that god was providentially directing his path and all that befell him such as him becoming second in command in egypt under pharaoh having been sold into slavery by his 10 older brothers when, according to verse 2, he was only 17 years old. At the time, Joseph's father, Jacob, had reached the ripe old age of 108, being 91 years older than Joseph. Although that's not given to us in the passage, it can be deduced looking elsewhere in Genesis and... Um, I'm I'm going to take you through that. I can't resist it. A little bit of of arithmetic here. According to chapter 41 and verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he was first brought before Pharaoh. So he was 30 then. Nine years later, when there was still five years left of famine and Joseph would have been 39 years old, his father Jacob was brought to Egypt, and Jacob said to Pharaoh, "The days of the years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty years, so work it out from that. Jacob was ninety one years older than or, than Joseph anyway, this evening we'll consider the jealousy and the hatred of joseph's brothers towards him, resulting in them selling." him into slavery chapter 37 starts with 17 year old joseph out with his big brothers feeding the flock he was with dan and naphtali the sons of jacob's concubine bilhar and he was also with gad and asher the sons of jacob's concubine zilpah in verse 2 It's written that Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. That is, he brought to his father an evil report about his brothers that he was feeding the flock with. It's interesting reading some of the commentaries about what it might have been, you know, and the the pains to tell you that he wasn't snitching on his brothers and it wasn't tittle-tattle. And then they proceed to tell you, what it might have been that he, the evil report was, that he brought to his father. However, I'd say that the 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 very next verse would seem to furnish the answer to what the evil report was about. Let's have a look at that. Uh, Look at verses 3 and 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colours. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. There you have it there. I would have thought so anyway. In verse 4, they hated him, and they didn't have a nice word to say to him. And he was out with them, the younger brother feeding the flock. Joseph would have stood out like a sore thumb, wearing his coat of many colours, which would have been a constant reminder to his brothers that their father loved him more than them. It would have been particularly hard for the four brothers that Joseph was out feeding the the flock with, who, unlike him, were somewhat secondary sons in that uh, their mothers were concubines of jacob so you can imagine the four sons there whose mothers were concubines and there's joseph the favorite son with his coat of many colors it would not have endeared them uh, endeared joseph to his older brothers at all even so all of joseph's big brothers who were grown men had no business hating him and they had no business business not speaking peaceably to him. Rather, they should have doted on their little brother, as no doubt their father doted on him. Or at the very least they should have exercised some self-control. It's quite often the case that um, for whatever reason the older son uh or not in in this case, not even the older son. If the 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 son there's a son who's who's captured his father's heart, and the older brothers, instead of hating him, they would dote over that that their, their younger brother because he is special. Although Joseph was loved by his father more than the others, he was not. Jacob's only child, uh, youngest child rather, you may recall that Joseph's mother Rachel died giving birth to his younger brother Benjamin four years earlier, when Joseph would have been thirteen years old, and no doubt Jacob doted on Benjamin as well. Even so, Jacob's wife Rachel was his great love, and the first son that she gave him, Joseph, may well have been extra special to Jacob because he was a constant and daily reminder of his beloved wife, Rachel. I don't know. As for the coat of many colours, that may well have been an emblem of the righteousness of Christ that Joseph was, as a godly young man, adorned in. And just as he was the victim of persecution from his brothers All of you who are clothed in Christ can expect to suffer persecution for his sake. The born-again life that you now live and your testimony of God's grace towards you will make hostility and persecution towards you an inevitability. Joseph's brother's hatred for him increased when he told them about two dreams that he dreamt. The first of the dreams is recorded in verse 7. Looking at verse 7, he said, For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made obeisance to my sheaf. Joseph's brothers hated him even more when they rightly interpreted the dream as being about the making obeisance so or bowing down before their little brother Joseph. What they no doubt dismissed as Joseph having fanciful thoughts and having an over-imaginative mind would eventually become a reality as is borne out when we reach the later chapters, it's precisely what did happen where they bowed down before him when they came to Egypt and Joseph had risen to become second in command, the second most important person in Egypt under Pharaoh. Therefore, even now, at the beginning of this study of Joseph's life, even before anything could happen to him, The things that would happen with him, such as being brought low, being sold into slavery, having been thrown into a pit, we've already uh, read that in chapter 37. All of the things that would happen to him, it's very clear that by virtue of the fact that we see it in the dream there, what Joseph dreamed, it tells us that God was in control of the situation. Everything would happen according to God's good pleasure. It was non-negotiable and it was certain to happen by virtue of the fact that Joseph dreamt it even before those things most certainly did happen. The second dream which Joseph told to his brothers and his father is recorded in verses 9 and 10 where it is written and he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him, and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth. The interpretation of the second dream is very similar to the first one, but this time it includes Joseph's entire family. The eleven stars are clearly Joseph's brothers. The sun is his father Jacob. As for the moon, Jacob interpreted it as meaning Joseph's mother, who was Rachel, that is until she died, when she gave birth to Benjamin, as has already been pointed out. Now, that has given rise to various explanations, with some of the commentators suggesting that the moon, obviously it can't refer to Rachel because she's dead, therefore it refers to Leah, whilst others say, no, it must be Bilhar, because Bilhar was Rachel's handmaid. I think I'll stick with John, what John Calvin who said. He didn't see the need to name any particular woman as being the moon. Calvin simply said, The sun and moon designate the head of the family on each side. Thus, in this figure, Joseph sees himself reverenced by the whole house of his father. That, that'll do for me. You get the message there. The whole of the house of Jacob, bows down before Joseph. Jacob's response was one of rebuking Joseph, even though he observed the saying, according to verse eleven. In other words, Jacob did not dismiss what Joseph had said, and that is understandable when you think that uh, Jacob he knew a thing or two about dreams. God appearing in appeared in a dream to Jacob back in chapter twenty eight so it was his own experience he had that experience of God appearing to him at the top of a ladder and 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 making promises to him and, and promising that all the earth would be blessed in him and promising to be with him so when Joseph his son came out with this dream about everyone bowing down before him, or the family bowing down before him, he didn't dismiss it. He observed the saying. So I would say that Jacob rebuking his son Joseph would seem to have been an overreaction. Perhaps he did it to pacify the angry brothers. Joseph's brothers hated him even more after hearing his God-given dreams, and they envied him. By way of application, the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again in judgment, and when he does come, talk about um, making obeisance to Joseph. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, every knee will bow before him, Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether people love Jesus, whether they hate him, everyone will bow down before him when he comes again. And on that day, all who love Jesus, having trusted in him for the forgiveness of their sins, will go away to life eternal. And even now, they, and you I trust, dear Christian, bow down before Jesus as you worship and you adore him. As for everyone else, and by that I mean those who have never received him as their saviour and their Lord, and who hate him, they will go away to everlasting punishment. Be in no doubt about that. If that is anyone in here now, uh, if you have have not received the Lord Jesus Christ, you will bow down before him and you will go away to everlasting punishment. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Bow down before him and receive him as your Lord, your saviour and worship him. Let's have a look at verses 12 through to 14. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Joseph's brothers were feeding the sheep in Shechem, perhaps the field that Jacob had purchased back in chapter 33 and verse 19. And Joseph was sent on a mission by his father to see how his brothers were getting on. It's as well to appreciate that Shechem was not just up the road from Hebron. It was about 50 miles away. That was a, quite some distance in those days. 50 miles for Joseph, 17-year-old Joseph, to go on a journey. And let's not forget that Jacob had removed himself and his family from Shechem, some years earlier, out of concern for their safety after Simeon and Levi had killed the male population there. So the very fact that Jacob sent his son Joseph, whom he loved more than all his children, on that long journey to Shechem to inquire about the well-being of his other sons is a testimony of Jacob's love And his concern for his other sons. Clearly he loved them. He sent Joseph to seek after their welfare. Little did Joseph know that when he set off on that journey. He would never report back to his father in Hebron. When Joseph arrived in Shechem, he was informed by a certain man who just happened to be there and who just happened to hear his brothers talking about going to Dothan. He told Joseph precisely that, that he'd heard his brothers say that they'd moved, they were going to Dothan, which was about another 20 miles away. And looking at verse 15, it would seem that Joseph was travelling alone. Look at verse 15 there again. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. Can you see what I'm getting at here? That man didn't just happen to be there at the time. We can see who was organising the events there. But anyway, so Joseph is directed on another 20 miles to Dothan where his brothers are. And it would seem from that from that verse there um, that he was on his own from verse 15. No servants with him. 17-year-old Joseph, all on his lonesome. So I think it's reasonable to say he would have been very vulnerable travelling alone. Even so, he continued to Dothan. And that speaks of his determination to fulfil what his father had sent him to do. And also, it speaks of his own concern for his brothers. Despite the fact that they hated him. Despite the fact that they envied him. He would have known those things. After all, he, he gave that evil report to his father about his brothers. They were horrible to him. They hated him. Even so, he continued on from um, from Shechem to Dothan, knowing all that. He could have very easily gone no further than Shechem. He could have turned round at Shechem, gone back to his father, Hebron, And with hand on heart, he could have said, I went to Shechem and they weren't there. He wouldn't have been lying, would he? But he didn't. Talk about go the extra mile. He went the extra 20 miles to Dothan. However, as I've said, Joseph, although he was concerned about his brothers, probably very concerned about his brothers, but also... What he wouldn't have known at the time is that in accordance with God's plan, Joseph had an appointment with an empty pit that they were going to throw him in when he finally did reach them in Dothan, as shall be seen. Looking at verses 18 through to 22. And when Joseph is on his way, he's arriving in Dothan, And, verse 18, and when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast have devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams." And Reuben heard it. Reuben's the oldest of the brothers. Reuben heard it and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. After that epic solo journey 70 miles or so it would have been nice had Joseph's big brothers welcomed him and made a bit of a fuss of him but that never happened as it was even before Joseph reached them they plotted how they might kill him. The oldest brother Reuben persuaded the others to cast Joseph into a pit and leave him to die instead of killing him. Reuben's intention was to rescue Joseph later on uh, and then return him to his father. Looking at verses 23 through to 28. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colours that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it, And they sat down to eat bread and they lifted up their eyes and looked and behold a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brother, brethren were content. And they passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they, well that's the brothers, drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. So instead of warmly greeting Joseph, what did his brothers do? They removed his coat of many colours and they cast him into a pit where there was no water. Then they sat down to eat. Can you imagine that? They've just thrown their their little brother into a pit and then they're sitting down to tuck into some food. Having a meal whilst their brother was languishing in a nearby pit speaks volumes about the hatred and the depravity within their hearts. Also, looking at verse 26, it would seem that Reuben, out of the way, Reuben had gone somewhere by then, with him out the way, the brothers had reinstated their plan to kill Joseph had it not been for the timely arrival of a company of Ishmaelites to whom they sold Jacob, uh, Joseph rather, for 20 pieces of silver. Again, it's important not to lose sight of the fact that God was in full control of the situation. God had a plan for Joseph that would result in him being a deliverer in Egypt in a time of famine. And nothing was going to change any of that, not that any of the, not that any of that excuses the wickedness of joseph's brothers it 's anybody's guess what was going on in joseph 's mind. perhaps there was a sense of relief that he was not going to be killed by his brothers after all, nor was he going to be left to die in that pit but Being sold into slavery was no great consolation either. Also, how did any of what was going on point to his brothers bowing down before him? If he was in that pit, thinking about the two dreams he had, how did he reconcile any of that with the dreams that he'd had earlier on? Verses 29 through to 36 again. Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. And he rent his clothes, he tore his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I whither shall I go. And they took Joseph's coat, they killed a kid of the goat's, And dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colours. And they brought it to their father. And said, this have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast have devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent, torn in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes. And put sackcloth upon his loins. And mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt, unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Reuben, he returned from wherever he'd gone to, only to find that Joseph, whom he'd planned to rescue at some stage and return to his father, was gone. What followed was an elaborate plan by the brothers to cover and hide their sin from their father, by making Joseph's coat of many colours red with the blood of a goat and pretending that he'd been devoured by an evil beast. Consequently, as is so often the case, one sin led to another sin. The cover-up even went so far as Jacob's sons comforting their father as he mourned what he had been led to by them to believe was the death of Joseph. Despite Jacob having had the Lord appear to him in a dream in chapter 28, despite having wrestled with the Lord, despite having received promises from the Lord, despite everything, he refused to be comforted. Instead, he said, I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Dear Christian, even though you are blessed with every spiritual blessing, In Christ Jesus, your Lord, as I love to remind you just about every week, you do not need to feel that you should not be jumping with joy all the time. That you should be jumping with joy all the time, rather. You wouldn't be human if you didn't mourn, even as Jacob mourned. There is a time for it. That said, what you must not do is lose sight of your Saviour, who was himself a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief because of sin and wickedness. Jesus is your refuge. Rejoice in him, whatever the situation. Last of all, we see that Joseph was sold into Egypt to Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh's and a captain of the guard. There's some applications here for us. Let's remind ourselves who Joseph's brothers were. They were the patriarchs of Israel. Yet the hearts of nine of them were filled with murderous intent towards their own flesh and blood. I've excluded the oldest, the oldest brother Reuben who persuaded them not to slay Joseph and I've also excluded Benjamin who was only four years old and presumably at home with his father. Even though they were the patriarchs of Israel they demonstrated just how depraved the human heart is and I'm not going to make any apologies for them because they were the patriarchs of Israel. They were no better than Cain the son of Adam who slew his brother Abel Two of Joseph's brothers had already demonstrated how murderous they were when they slaughtered the Shechemites. It was only the providence of God that stopped Joseph being killed by his own brothers when Reuben persuaded them to cast Joseph into a pit, after which he planned to rescue him. Having said that, we needn't imagine that Reuben was any better than the rest of them. He wasn't the the depravity of reuben's heart had already been manifested albeit in a different way in chapter 35 when he lay with bilhar his father's concubine how about that the bottom line is that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it that dear friend describes Everyone's heart. The Apostle Paul made that abundantly clear when he pointed out that all are under sin, both Jews and Gentiles. And he said, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre, an open tomb. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes." As ruthless as Joseph's brothers undoubtedly were, there does appear to have been a flicker of conscience, a conscience that bothered them. Judging by what Judah said in verse 27. Look at verse 27 again. So they've thrown, having listened to the oldest brother, Reuben, they didn't kill Joseph, they just threw him into a pit. And then the Ishmaelites are coming along. And look what Judah says in verse 27. Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Possibly there was a pang of conscience there. A twinge of conscience there. And their conscience was not altogether seared as with a hot iron. And that would be the consequence of God writing the work of his law into the hearts of all men, everybody, and giving us a conscience, a conscience that either excuses us or accuses us. We all have a conscience and, and with God's law the works of God's law written in our hearts. Maybe their conscience was bothering them a little bit at the time. It's a restraining grace of God. Writing the work of His law into men's hearts and giving them a conscience. If God did not do that, if it were not for God's common grace to all men in doing such, there would be no end to the evil that any of us would commit the streets would be red with blood if it were not for God's restraining grace writing the work of his law into our hearts giving us a conscience to accuse us or else excuse us Joseph had been sent by his father on an epic journey out of a concern for his other sons who hated Joseph. And with hindsight, Joseph was sent as a lamb to the slaughter, wasn't he? When his father sent him on that journey to Shechem, 17-year-old, seemingly on his own, Shechem was not a place that would have rolled out the red carpet for any of Jacob's house. But he went, nevertheless... And the Lord kept him safe. And that was thanks to the providence of God and God's protective care towards Joseph. The outcome was, however, very different when God sent his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on a mission into this world. Like Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ was also hated by those that he was sent to. Jesus came unto his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we, received, we esteemed him not. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter when he was taken by wicked men. But he was not thrown into a pit. He was not sold into slavery. He was crucified and he was put to death. But that was also done in accordance with God's purpose. For Jesus was wounded and put to death for the transgressions of all who all he came to save. All who would ever trust in him for for the forgiveness of their sins and for everlasting life. Have Have you acknowledged the depravity of your heart? That your own heart is desperately wicked. There is none righteous, no not one. Have you received Jesus as your saviour, having confessed your sins? The wages of sin is death. Dear Christian, I trust you are someone who has acknowledged the depravity of your heart. And you confess yourself, even now, and it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you confess yourself to be no better than than the patriarchs of old and you thank God for the mercy shown to you through Jesus Christ your Lord who loved you and who gave himself for you. Amen.